Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamant. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you, Rob? Today, Russell, I have been meditating on an idea, which is that of an archive. Now, I have been thinking a lot about archives. It's mm. a kind of way of, like, storing kind of lots of different information and kind mm -hmm. of... I see the word archive as being quite a, a kind of positive way to kind of protect history, perhaps. And also, a kind of, it takes a level of care to build up an archive. And I think if it has good intentions, um, it can be a really powerful tool for kind of good in the long term. Mm -hmm. And I have been inspired by this thought process because of today's guest who is it currently in his studio in Essex so you two have something whoop, whoop. in common which up Essex. excites me no end <laughs> but um, we've never actually met in person but we did have a phone call last week just to catch up before doing this recording and I was really touched by his kind of openness generosity of spirit which is quite unusual to pick that up on a phone call but I am so excited to welcome to talk art Larry Achampong. <laughs> Hi, Larry. Hey, Robert. How's it going, Russell? Uh, uh, that was an amazing welcome. Thank you. I've never had that before. <laughs> it's like being on a game show, isn't it? I could have, I could yeah. have actually kept going on, and I just thought, you know what? This isn't about me. So, um, welcome. We're so happy to have you on Talk Thank Art. You. So, where, where yeah. in Essex are you, Larry? Uh, I'm based in Perfleet now, Russell. Um, yeah, I I spent a bit of my childhood uh, growing up in in Essex, in uh, kind of between Dagenham and uh, Beckham Tree, oh. with my dad. But uh, yeah, I moved back here about a, a year ago, uh, and I'm based in Perfleet now. Yeah. Wow, cool. And and you, this where we're speaking to you now is your studio, but it's like you live there as well in your studio. Yes, yeah, it's a live-work unit, so it's with uh, Acme Studios, uh, who basically, they provide um, studio spaces for, for artists uh, and also live-work units as well, of which I'm in one of them. What's, what is that like, living and working in the same space for you? That's a very good question. Um, if I'm honest with you, before I even moved here, I I felt like I was kind of living with my work already you know like i have a main uh kind of um macbook that i use for doing all kinds of stuff uh with different projects and i 
kind of carry that around with me all the time, almost like, I guess, what the equivalent of what Charlie Brown's blanket is to him. Mm. It's kind of Security. with me all the time. So it's really kind of, it's more kind of like physical, obviously, in terms of having so much kit around and that kind of thing. But um, what I really have enjoyed about it, actually, and obviously this has kind of happened over the, the last year uh, with coronavirus is that, I don't really have to leave in order to kind of get on with work or then to just stop and relax and chill. You know, like in, in the same environment, I've got my video games and my DVDs, so I can just completely switch off and relax. So that's uh, it's a nice feeling. That's to very have. clever. I, I'm, I'm aware, <laughs> of course, you know, that there are some people whom, you know, they find that difficult in terms of the switch off, but it's it's quite easy for me. I feel like I've built a skill in that. <laughs> so you're you're locked into online and and that is a, a lot mm. of what your work is is about kind of our identity now in the mm -hmm. kind of digital age and yeah. you're a big gamer uh yep. which i i love and i want to get onto something later on about uh, something mm -hmm. part of your practice which i'm obsessed with but th this um about identity's relationship in the digital age that's that's a yeah. big driving force for you through your mm. work yeah yeah no it is um I guess the reason or, or how that kind of came about is through my my experiencing life um, without that of the kind of like digital age or the internet being, you know, medium that, that we use um, in a kind of like mass consumption kind of manner. I, you know, I grew, I was born in the early 80s. So there was a point, of course, before the internet was mm. an actual, you know, thing. And then, of course, there's the point after which is obviously the now, the current time that we're living in. So I, I'm aware of those kinds of differences, you know, like even thinking about things like uh, news media, for example, you know, uh, printed media, um, the way in which it would take quite a while for messages to kind of carry over without the internet. But with that, you know, with the likes of Twitter, for example, somebody can easily send a video, an image, uh, a message, and it just, you know, it hits like wildfire. So, you know, it's kind of dealing with, I guess, the um, the, the the incredibleness of, of it, but then also the, the anxieties, I think, in between that are kind of created as well. Because I think there's this assumption that, um, you know, the, the digital world is, is, a, is a space that is much kind of like fairer. Whereas I kind of, I guess I, I, I debate as to whether that is the case because if you think about those that are in power people who you know run run the, the the corporations that control whether it's the likes of you know uh facebook and so on um you kind of realize as you go toward the source the problems that that are kind of entailed there right yeah so do you, do you feel like a nostalgia then because i think we're basically the same age i'm 81 you're mm -hmm. 84 83 mm -hmm. yeah so 84. we know a world pre-internet and yeah I mean, I'm locked into online. I mean, everything, mm. we all do everything online, but yeah. I do, I'm thankful for living a life pre-internet and knowing what that mm -hmm. is and the generations now that have just only known social media, have only yeah. known the internet. I feel must be wired differently to us. So, so, mm. so for you, do you have a nostalgia for a time before the internet, but yet mm -hmm. digital media is so important to yeah. everything that you're kind of outputting as an artist yeah definitely i mean um thing is i'm 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 a parent as well and so of course i'm raising 
uh, I'm, I'm, I'm raising two children whom, of course, they're, they're, they're growing up with that media with, you know, iPads and, yeah. you know, um, high fidelity video games in comparison to the old school <laughs> right. 8-bit or 16-bit that we grew up with, yes. right? So, um, Mario. you know, even when it comes to, like, activities and things like that, like, you know, oh, let's, you know, go out and, you know, play some basketball or something you know that the some of my, my kids uh usually my eldest my son Sinai is like oh I'd rather kind of sit in and you know watch YouTube my daughter's kind of very uh kind of like physically active she's very agile and she loves to just run about everywhere but um I can definitely see the the, the differences in the way that they approach um you know experiencing things in terms of you know just um anything you do to relax or, you know, uh, and it's, you know, some things of course are really cool and then other things are a bit like, no, we need to go out, we need to, you know, yeah. stretch our legs and actually, yeah. you know, do something different than just being stuck on yeah, the But as uh, a gamer, the, the I mean, do you have to tell yourself that? Because I can imagine you, if you're living and working around this and you are a proper self-confessed gamer addict, yeah. you mustn't yeah. leave this, I don't know what you're in, a demountable, I think mm -hmm. we'd have called them at, at school, <laughs> Ever, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I do. I, yeah, you're right. I, I kind of, I have to be, I guess, yeah, quite regimented, really, with with it all. Like, I, you know, I don't, I try not to overdo it. I may have like a couple of hours or a few hours at the most, like per per, per day or evening, um, when it comes to to playing games. Um, you know, I do karate. I I work out a bit as well, just to kind of keep my you know, keep things uh, physically intact and thus mentally uh, intact. That that kind of thing's really helpful. In fact, me and my my children, we we, we do karate together. So over the uh, the period of, of lockdown, we've been doing uh, we've been continuing karate over over Zoom, which of course is not exactly the same as you know being within the actual dojo and and, and physically kind of you know uh, it's digital still yeah. sparring. Yeah. yeah, but but again, you know. The fact that you have someone in in, in our senseis who are, are there and kind of pushing us to, mm. you know, to, to the, the 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 best of our, our abilities, um, is is quite uh, an incredible thing in itself. That I would say is like the kind of example, I guess, of uh, a, a mash between the digital framework and then that of you know the the, the physical world, as it were, really, because of course we're using our bodies while taking instructions online. It's quite yeah. interesting, you know, the whole karate thing. My my dad was a black belt and he got mm. into like five or six down or something to the point where he Amazing. could like break bricks and um, his proudest achievement was that he started at the age of 50 and then he wow. died when he was 69. But by mm -hmm. the time he actually passed away, he was literally like a total expert at karate. And in mm. that very short time, he managed to kind of recreate his identity somehow you know what i mean like mm, as an older yeah. person you sometimes yeah. feel like you've already established yourself yes. but he created this whole new thing and the thing mm. i took away from his experience of karate was mm. actually very similar to art practice which is this idea mm. of like a solitude and a kind of mm -hmm. solitary almost like a competition with the self and i don't yes. mean the competition as in like a negative thing but like more like a way mm. of driving yourself forward and i love yeah. that idea like a middle age that you suddenly are struck with the idea of your mortality mm. and um it makes me think a little bit about about a film that you made. So mm -hmm. years ago at your gallery Copperfield, you did a yeah. show called Sunday's Best, um, yeah. which had this amazing film in it. And there's something about the idea of community and also religion and tradition mm -hmm. in that film, which links a bit to what I'm talking about in karate and artistic practice in a sense, like that solitude and mm. the way you have to explore things. Can you speak a bit yeah. about that film? Because that was something that really struck me. 
Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, Sunday's Best. Uh, yeah, is a film that I I uh, created in twenty sixteen. Um, it's a film that was supported by uh, South London Gallery um, and then also uh, the Logan Centre in Chicago. And you know, weirdly, that that work um, it took years to develop. So I came up with the idea around kind of twenty twenty fourteen. Decided to shoot in twenty fifteen. Wow. And uh, I wasn't I wasn't happy with the the material that I'd shot, and it was at that point in time where I decided for the first time that I wanted to shoot in 4K uh, resolution. But um, what but does really that at mean, the heart then, for people that don't know, what does 4K okay. resolution mean? Good good question. So um, <laughs> people who kind of like watch HD kind of movies, which is like 1080p, uh, 4K is four times the the amount of resolution that you would have within a HD image. Wow, so, so it's, it's like super high quality. It's super high Precise quality. Precise kind it's, of intense detail. <laughs> yeah. And the kind of stuff that, you know, you you know, you shoot something, you could put it in a cinema and it will it will glow beautifully. Um so um you know, I I I wanted to make a film that um that explored my 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 Akan heritage, my Shanti heritage, and also the 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 kind of mixture, but also the confusion um, in terms of the history of uh, histories of colonization, uh, the relationship uh, with with that of um, British imperialism mm. through, of course, uh, Christianity. Um, so you know, my mum and my dad, when they were together at the time, they would take myself and my siblings to church every sunday it was like you know it was the thing you didn't you couldn't you couldn't opt out um and we would go to we would go to different churches across the uh, the years in different parts of london um but when i in terms of what i'm saying with regards to the word church it was basically just uh, community centers with um filled with with Ghanaian people who, who knew each other mm-hmm. uh families friends and so on and you know we would be there sometimes 10 or 12 hours like it would be really really long um of course these community centers had no kind of uh physicality that that relayed the idea of a church in a way that let's say a, a catholic church would do yeah um so it's very much about the uh the, the spirit through uh through physical uh performance uh whether that's you know speaking in tongues um singing playing instruments and so on um, you know, and if you would walk by, a, you know, one of the buildings that were in, you, you would be able to hear it. You could feel it, you feel the reverberations. <laughs> wow. And then later on, uh, in, in, in down the line, my, my mum, uh, kind of told me and my sister about, um, the fact that she would go to, uh, Catholic churches and that her uncle was one of the other uh, first, um, uh, Ashanti Catholic ordained priests and, you know, and that she wanted us to to get you know christened and confirmed and so on within the the catholic church mm-hmm. so i kind of i guess built a relationship with going to um you know catholic church which for me by comparison is very kind of kind of slow and quiet and dead in some ways uh, <laughs> you yeah. know what i mean like yeah. there's you know the the, the 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 whole thing of you know spirituality um that i'd kind of grown up learning was just completely different just from one environment that was very upbeat and you know you could feel the heartbeat of 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 a space to one that is just very quiet almost just kind of just dormant but you can't really feel things so Mm. um 
that mixture of things, in addition to, I guess, the, the this this confluence of language and also the kind of um, the confusion of language for me actually was what intrigued me. You know, my whenever my family would would pray, of course, they would, they would pray in, in in tree, which is one of um, uh, a few hundred uh, languages that are spoken in Ghana. It's one of the main languages, I guess, depending on the region you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I understood or learned, and of course my mum kind of taught me and my, um, my siblings how to uh, speak tree, was the way that they would relay or talk about uh, God. They were talking about Jehovah within the, the Christian sense, but they would use uh, the word uh, Nyame. And from my understanding, uh, Nyame is, is, is not a God that belongs to the, 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 the Christian faith, as it were. Um, Nyame is one of uh, many uh, deities within the, the Ashanti tradition. And I just didn't get it. I didn't understand. It's like, why is this word being used, you know, for this, um, this omnipresence being used within this context? And of course, obviously, through the years and my own kind of like research, that understanding was, was made clearer. But um, it felt like a really important uh not just a film to make, but also an important kind of set of inquiries and investigations for myself, really, you know, um, and just this idea of, of, of creating legacy towards um, this point in time of, 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 of history. Again, you know, we, we, we went to church in, in like the late 80s, early mid 90s. Um, of course, th- there are a lot of these churches that are still around uh, nowadays, but I'm sure there, there are quite a few differences. Um, I just wanted to try and find a way to be able to, I guess, build and tell tell an important story. Mm. And on a really practical level, when you were making that film, what was mm-hmm. the process of doing it? Because, like, the actual church that you film in, for example, there, there, there's one scene where there's a kind of red gate kind of around mm-hmm. the, the pulpit or whatever you'd call it. Mm-hmm. Did you actually, like, visit a lot of different sites to, like, plan for making the film? Good question. Um... Fortunately, I didn't have to visit um, a load of different sites. In, in terms of those visuals, I, um, I I filmed in one church in, in Bethnal Green, the actual yeah. church that I went to, uh-huh. uh, which is called Our Lady of the Assumption. So mm-hmm. it's just around the corner from York Hall and behind uh, the V&A uh, Museum of Childhood. Yes. Um, and so, of course, like, I'd, I'd, like I said, I'd, I'd built a relationship with, with the church and even the, uh, the, the parish priest at the time who... He's kind of, interestingly, he's, he's like a grandfather to me, actually. I, I, I never met any of my biological grand, grandparents. And when I personally kind of decided to um, go to church at the time, and I was really just interested in learning, actually, about the history of church more than any, anything, um, I built, a, I guess, what you could say an unlikely friendship with the, uh, the, the parish priest, uh, Father Andrew O'Dell, um, who's now based where where um, he he grew up in uh, Hitching, um, and you know I I was really fascinated by the the interiors of of this environment. You know, um, it's a really beautiful church, and especially if you go during the uh, the you know the the British summertime period, the way that the light hits into the church via the uh, the stained glass windows, it is is glorious. It's just, you know, and um, so whenever I would go in there um, as a kid, I just it, I, I just felt like I was 
being transported somewhere. And that's the feeling, I guess, that I wanted to try to, you know, gather within within the film. So it was it was a great thing that it was kind of like easy to be able to, you know, have the other uh, chance to be able to film in there. Yeah. Um, as far as like building a, a physical relationship with the space, like I said earlier on, I, I filmed across two different years and, you know, I filmed to begin with, with my, at the time, my Nikon D7100 camera, which filmed in, in, in high definition. I, I looked at the other uh, rushes, the imagery afterwards, and I just wasn't happy with, you know, the other uh, fidelity and decided that I was going to save up for a Panasonic GH4 camera. Um, and I'd go back the next summer to do that. And I don't tend to do that kind of thing with my work. If I've got an idea, I'm like, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do this thing. We're going to try it out. I don't, I don't kind of sketch in a traditional sense. Uh, people that know me will know that I, I use voice notes a lot. So audio is a thing for me. I'm always talking, 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 right. throwing back ideas and forth. So, you know, again, I also didn't really even, I didn't create any, uh, I didn't work to any kind of, you know, frames or whatnot, like sketches. Um, I just looked around the space and, and considered what I thought were the effective, effective viewpoints that the, the, the viewer themselves might, you know, also build a relationship with and would just, you know, revisit the environment on my own and then also later on with my mother. And uh, yeah, it was, it was quite a special experience, even, even in terms of the aspect of collaborating with, with my mum. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. Have you done that a few times, collaborate with your mum? Yeah, in a way, yeah. Was she yeah. in the expulsion? Was she involved in, in that film? She, she was She was involved in that. Um, there, there are aunties who I've worked with whom, um, who basically she got in contact with for me to, to work with them. And um, so, yeah, we, we talked a lot about... Uh, so the expulsion, just for those of you that are listening, the expulsion is a film that covers... Um, a period of time in my childhood where mm. I did cleaning jobs with my mother uh, in and outside of, of, of central London. And um, and visually it kind of follows um, uh, a couple of uh, different cleaners within different environments. Um, but yeah, within that film, I mean, you know, in terms of the process, the, the research, I would talk to my mum loads about, yeah. you know, uh, just kind of revisiting the moments in time where we would clean different places. So we would clean um, Free Mills Studio, which um, if, if I'm not mistaken, um, I think London's Burning was filmed at. You had yeah, Bad was, Girls yeah. that was I filmed, filmed there. there. Yeah. Uh, oh, really? yeah, I can yeah, imagine yeah. you filmed there as well. You <laughs> the know. job lot you, there, yeah. Yeah, you know, you had the likes of, uh, I think the, the very first Big Brother, which was, you know, which was oh, captured was there, there as well. Yeah, it was there. You know, so for me, this kind of, the whole veneer of the fourth wall was kind of destroyed as a kid for me, you know, like, and I watched some of these shows yeah. um, and it's just strange to be within these environments, but no, you know, to answer your question, um, yeah, that, that, that collaborative experience definitely kind of continued with my mum. Well, it project. feels like that in that, I mean, there's, there's a few things I want to talk about, but the, the, your mm-hmm. Kwame Achimpong, is that, is that your brother you edited with or? Uh, right, so because uh, <laughs> it feels um, like you you collaborate with your family yeah. then a lot, they feel like yeah. they're really important in your work. 
Yeah, you've, yeah. I think we've had your kids as well doing like a mm-hmm. listen and repeat on yes. on a, a film you did. It's amazing that you are so close to your family and you bring mm. them into your practice because it's very autobiographical what you do. Yeah, no, it is. Um, I'm I'm gonna kind of like be honest for a moment um, in that. Yeah, Kwame um, is actually my brother, but I I used Kwame's name as a pseudonym for myself just because I make I I do so many things with with my work and. To just see the name Larry, you know, editor Larry, this, that, you know, it, I, I realised myself, like, actually, you know what, this kind of looks a bit, like, silly, like, it's just my name there all the time. So I just kind of... put me and Rob down it, you yeah. so you can add, You can add us to the credits at the, the end. The talk art family. Oh, I see. <laughs> that's, 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 a cheeky, that's a little cheeky uh, secret exclusive. No, I, that, yeah. that film I found so powerful. And there, I, there's, like, some mm-hmm. lines in that, like, um, wh- where your mum said, your books are your best friends. Mm. Yeah. And that was advice that she gave mm-hmm. you at that age. Like, if you want to get escape, books mm-hmm. are your best friends. And that feels yeah. like, you know, this this monologue, you saying you're taking voice notes. Mm-hmm. The films that I've seen, there is this, like, inner monologue that mm-hmm. plays out over the top. And it's quiet. And there's a soundscape which you create as well. Yep. And But this monologue is so um, evocative and mm-hmm. and paced and mm. clear and it has so much clarity in your voice like we're to hit listening to you now it's so calming mm-hmm. that 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 goes over and so you're getting quite powerful messages over and, mm. and but you're doing it in such a soothing way <laughs> i mean that that's that's <laughs> a skill yeah i mean um i guess yeah like audio audio has always been such a thing for me uh you know growing up the whole thing of yeah storytelling you know my mum would like tell us so many stories as as a kid in terms of like her experiences of of of, of growing up in um in in Kumasi in, in Ghana um of of being poor of of hardly having anything and then also kind of like talking about the relationship with I guess our lower working class experience of of growing up in in in, in London mostly um because you know we we experience points of of poverty but what she experienced in terms of poverty was quite different in itself. Um, you know, so that, you know, obviously coupled with growing up in an area where, you know, arguably, you know, grime and garage really kind of, you know, This was Bethnal Green, wasn't it? Absolutely, yeah, Bethnal yeah. Green, you know. Um, you know, friends that I'd hang out with who would love to MC, and, you know, with that, you know, they, they'd love to build stories and so on. Mm. My brother uh, Kwame or Marvin, um, you know, he, he would he would also rhyme. He was really into hip-hop. He introduced me to, um, uh, yeah, the first hip-hop album I listened to was Nas' Ilmatic. Mm. Um, you know, on top of that, watching films and, and sometimes watching them with my mum, you know, all kinds of stuff, Hollywood stuff, to Kung Fu movies, all of it. Um, it, that for me, the thing that would always uh, tick around in the back of my mind was the voice, or, or you know, the the the, the, the affirmation of of characters, which I would repeat. I would love to kind of say the lines of of a character. I'd love to spit the lines of a character and repeat them, and or you know, think about the the, the soundtracks. I'd make versions of my soundtracks to kind of go over the the audio of 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 an official soundtrack of a film. So. Um, I I felt I feel like I've kind of grown up making versions of of stories or referring to stories, including my own experiences for for a long time. I just never, not until I guess like the last kind of five to seven years, that I really think, oh, you know, maybe I could I could make you know a film. Um, but 
obviously in terms of my approach to it, I, I, I didn't go to film school. So, you know, all of this stuff I, I've, I've learned on my own, I've learned through trial and error mm. um, and, you know, kind of like, I guess, building and utilizing my own kind of equipment um, in, in a way that I, I see fit in a way that works for me. You know, for example, um, I'm aware of, uh, you know, other peers in the art scene who like to use lighting within their filming. I don't use lighting. You know, you'll, you'll find noise, you'll find filth, that, that kind of graininess. Um, and, and, and I'm okay with that. I find it, that there's, there are creative possibilities that can be lifted out of that. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot going on with, with you know, the idea of narrative where, where the films are concerned. Yeah, and 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 film-wise, is this something mm. where you feel like? I just want to explain to people that are listening that are coming to your work or know your work. You you mm. are a very ideas-based artist, and mm. and you've been quoted as saying there is a multitude of ways to have a conversation, mm-hmm. and these this and it's basically storytelling. You're a storyteller, yeah. and and you use film as we've discussed, sound, mm-hmm. music, field recordings, performance, sculpture, installation, painting, mm-hmm. photography, applique, basically every medium that you can <laughs> you can use you apart can from clay. I think I'm I haven't seen that come up. Have you used clay before? Oh gosh! But back in college, not right. Not, okay, not so that one off. Then you got that. You got that one. Then is there? Is there? Do you see like a hierarchy within? Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, the, I think the mm. film for you feels like it is, or the soundscape. I don't. That's what I'm saying. So I don't mm. know with you. But is, do you do you see a hierarchy within the materials that you use? Uh, no, Russell. I don't know because. Because otherwise, I, I, I don't feel like I'd be able to link from one point of a project to another. Of course, I think, you know, in terms of filmmaking, the beauty of that is it brings together so many professions and mediums and things, you know, whether that's collaborating with people, utilising the voice, utilising, you know, the written word, sound, prop making and building, which again, I'm also into building things or, you know, altering things. Um, but again, at the same time, you know, I, I, I know for me that, you know, a film, whilst it can, it can do many things in terms of building and, and telling a narrative, sometimes uh, an isolated sound work on its own will just do that other something that the film for me cannot, you know, like, it, it's interesting we're talking about this because um, I was talking to some students yesterday, uh, my yeah, I guess my final day of teaching at the, uh, the Royal College of Art. I've been teaching there for five years. Oh, wow. And, um, you know, some of some of those students, they, they, they're interested in or they work with film. And one of the philosophies that I've always brought to the table with, with, with filmmaking is that, you know, the visuals, as far as I'm concerned, they're not as important as the sound. For me, the sound makes at least 70% of your experience because you're dealing with two types of senses. You're dealing with what you touch as well as, you know, and, and feel, as well as what you can hear. Whereas, you know, in terms of the, the, the sense of sight, it's, that is the one sense in relation to, you know, the visuals. So, what do you mean um, sound you can touch and feel? Reverberations. Right, okay. Yeah, so, you know, so if you, if you, you know, like a subwoofer or the yeah. kind of like the vibration of that speaker in, in, with, with regard to the sound that is playing, right, it can really, can really take you on a certain type of journey. So, so, you know, like it, it's, it's really important for me to kind of break down those elements when, when I'm thinking about, you know, making my films again, like, don't get me wrong. I love, 
you know, good kind of sublime, you know, view. And it's great being out here in Perfleet with so many of these incredible views and so on, right? Yeah. I've got, in fact, the, uh, the, the Dartford Bridge to the right of me if I look out my window, which is just superb. But um, it's Not the sound. Not many sounds. people would say that, Larry. Not many people would say <laughs> that the Dartford Bridge is a superb view. I Sorry. Love it. I love it. No, that you're an anomaly. Well, yeah, maybe I am. Imagine maybe if you're an estate um, agent. Oh, you've got the Dartford that. Bridge here. It's a beautiful view. Why would you not want to live here? Yeah, don't get me to sell your house. Um, <laughs> But you know, like the the, the sound, the sounds of, of of those cars kind of like passing by, or the the sound of um, you know the, the the ships that kind of come in and, and dock. It's a very particular, you know, nuance really. And mm. and I don't think you can capture, you know, capturing that visually is of course its own kind of one thing. But that audio in itself is so so special, so particular. It's quite um, interesting thinking about that as well in terms of um if you think of when you were talking about speaking in tongues before mm -hmm. and this idea it's really bizarre this is quite a weird link obviously mm. i am quite a random person but um my friend's cat the other day was purring so loudly mm -hmm. and he said to me that cats heal themselves through the purring so apparently the resonate the resonating that's going mm. on within the animal's body can actually be like a healing and restorative thing mm -hmm. and it got me thinking a lot about humans as well because i think we often listen to music you know when you were talking about yeah. grime music hip-hop mm -hmm. music like we all we all have experiences with music yeah. and i think that just listening can be quite a healing thing like mm -hmm. on a kind of cell level on a molecular level mm. and it's quite interesting thinking about subwoofers or you know what i mean with mm. within the work it's yeah it is deeply profound actually yeah no it is it really is you know that coupled with 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 the voice you know like i when i think about my again you know, talking loads about my mum but when i think about you know the the, the prayers that my mum kind of like gives and of course, you know, she's she's a devout Christian, although I would personally say, you know, her 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 devotion is much more linked to our Akan heritage. But again, you know, it's a question regarding, you know, colonialism. But when I think about when she kind of says prayers for me, like mm -hmm. if you're not feeling something there, as far as I'm concerned, you're not human. Like there's something really particularly special about it. Like, you know, like when, when I when I was living with her before, you know, moving out here, um, there are times where I, you know, get home and I'm like, yeah, I'm just plastered, mum. And she would like just grab my hand, like, look, we're going to pray. And you know, there, there's a certain charge of energy which, um, you know, I'm sure that it, it has a connection to to our heritage. But just, you know, you hear that. You don't just hear it, but you feel it. You know, um, and it's not really about, oh, you know, do you believe in this? person with a grey beard or whatever it's it's just it's way deeper than that and in a sense that my words probably won't even do that justice but again like I say that that thing of feeling you know is 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 a really important thing and um again I join I join with with what you know you said earlier uh, Russell uh for example of you know me being a storyteller I definitely think that the the, the West African tradition I've inherited of, you know, the griot has a big role to play, you know, telling stories. What, is, what word was that? Uh, the, the griot. What's so that? A, a griot is, um, is, is a traveler, a traveler that, uh, that tells stories moving from environment to environment, community to community. Uh, it, it, it's known within various uh, West African uh, communities that um, the griot is very important in being able to relay messages that are given to um, 
people within different generations and so on. And of course, it's up to people to take what they will from from those messages. But um, so yeah. well, I, I get this, that completely opens up a whole other side of your practice, this, this storyteller who travelers, mm-hmm. uh, travels, mm-hmm. and you, you have your you have these flags that you've mm-hmm. been working on, which is an ongoing exploration mm-hmm. called the Relic Travelers Alliance. Yeah. So it's the the relics that the travelers go around with to send mm-hmm. the storytelling messages, mm-hmm. right? Great. Well, okay. That's that's this is amazing. So, so and they, also that that's part of the Liverpool um, biennial, biennial that's happening, which is now. partly why we're having mm-hmm. this conversation today because that's currently on in um, in the UK and it's a really exciting um, you know exhibition view. Yeah. But I want I want so I want to talk about these these flags that you uh, mm-hmm. that you work with, which are Pan African flags, which which through you I, I came to that term and mm-hmm. and Pan African colours, and there's the colours red, green, yellow, gold, and black. And you, you're, you are, have an ongoing exploration where you are using the same color palette uh, and different geometric shapes and mm-hmm. symbols and realigning like fresh, con- like contemporizing flags mm-hmm. using these Pan-African colors, right? Yeah, yeah, indeed. So which, are, which are incredibly powerful and instantly recognizable as your work. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's yeah. So of course, yeah. These these flags, of which there are eight now that exist, um, they form part of the the Relic Traveler project. So this is where I guess we kind of get into that point of you know that that my interest in various mediums. So yeah. um, Relic Traveler is a spe- speculative project um, that considers uh, history as we as we know it now uh, in terms of what's been happening. Uh, within the world with regards to, you know, uh, the effect of Brexit and um, that kind of, I guess, ripple effect of of nationalism that kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, transpired the rise of Trump and, you know, uh, nationalism across other, you know, states. It's probably not fair simply just to say the US because, you know, think about Sweden, think about Germany and so on. It's global, yeah. Absolutely. So um, it's kind of set at a point in time where a range of things are happening on that one hand, you have borders closing around uh, within the West due to this rise of nationalism. Uh, But then in the African Union, um, and again, this is kind of connected to real life stuff, the the African Union uh, has been working on a passport program that will allow Africans to travel amongst the 54 or 55 states um, with no problem in terms of, you know, uh, borders and so on. Right. So one part of the world, of course, you know, borders are opening. Another part of the world, borders are, you know, closing. Mm. So amongst, um, at, at this point in time, amongst the, the various uh, aspects of, you know, like prosperity that are taking place within the, uh, the African Union, um, the, the Relic Travelers Alliance is initiative, an initiative that is set up by the, the AU um, that sends uh, these people, these relic travelers outside of, of, of Africa uh, into environments where people have been oppressed historically. So the idea is that the relic travelers will pick up these uh, vocal testimonies that have been left by people historically. Could have been left on a mobile phone, it could have been left on a computer. You know, that's left up for the viewer to kind of imagine. So through the films, um, the the viewer is 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 travelling on a on, on a journey with with the relic traveller, um, but then audibly, what you're hearing 
are excerpts of of these different testimonies, kind of like diary passages that have been left, you know, in history. And the reason why the the, the relic travellers are sent to pick up these um, essentially messages is is in order uh, for the African Union to govern um, a, a really a much more fair and prosperous future. Uh, it's guided from a bottom-up perspective rather than from a top-down one. So through mm. these stories and through the learnings of these stories and experiences of oppression and so on, um, are they able to consider uh, a future that they are they are much more responsible to where previous superpowers are not those superpowers anymore. So it's right. not, you know, because some sometimes people get misconstrued with the project that it's a utop utopic project it's not it's really it's still dealing with you know the, the 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 effects of 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 history in terms of uh you know pollution and so on like so many different issues and 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 how um how the responsibility of 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 survival as we know it is uh is i guess negotiated so these and flags are like uh creating solidarity between mm -hmm. all the African countries. I didn't realise there wasn't a freedom of movement between so many African countries, but so these, these flag designs, these are your designs. Yeah, yeah. And eight, and this, this is an ongoing thing. Is this limitless, or are you giving yourself a rule for how many you're... That's a good question. I mean, you know, so the, the first four designs, which were kind of like created around 2017... Um, yeah, initially there, there there wasn't for me, I guess, an idea to even create four designs. Initially, I was going to perhaps like create one or two patch logos for the Relic Traveller, and then um, and at the time when I was um, at Somerset House Studios as a resident, um, I'd been invited to create you know flag, and so that's where you know that's where this kind of idea of the patch then turned into a flag. I never really yeah. thought of flags in that way. If I'm honest yeah. with you, my own personal relationship with flags is seeing St George's flags like pop up Absolutely. in in East London when right. when the football's on and mm -hmm. I guess the violence that comes with that right mm -hmm. um so so I think following this kind of like phase of um of these first four flags kind of like being able to be shown digitally physically and so on did I then begin to think of more kind of different symbols and and different types of uh, expression that I felt actually that there is space for this you know one of the uh, the new flags for example uh, titled mothership um, is in respect and adoration towards the black woman the center of community and I mean that in a multiple kind of sense not in a um, in a universal kind of, way yeah. yeah absolutely so um, this is in Liverpool as well currently yes that's yes. one of the ones that's Part in Liverpool currently yeah. so yeah mm. I guess I don't want to kind of say yeah that's it because I thought that was it a few years ago. No, we want, more. we want more. What, what do all the colours mean? Because we said about red, green, yellow, gold and black. And yes. you, this is a rule that you have, that these mm -hmm. are the only colours that you have Absolutely. chosen. Yes, yes, indeed. So, what do they symbolise, yeah? So black uh, is in relation to the people. Uh, green is in relation to plant life and resources. Mm -hmm. uh, yellow, gold uh, is in relation to prosperity and a new day or the future. Um, and red uh, signifies uh, struggle. Um, blood in a sense but also specifically struggle and these are colors that you set yourself for this for these yeah. hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Yeah. Right. So, so Liverpool. So these are up. We're talking about Liverpool Biennial. So these mm-hmm. flags are up in. Se- They're going to be across t- ten different locations, I think. Yeah, right. Across Liverpool mm-hmm. in different locations. Mm-hmm. So you've got eight flags, but they're across ten different locations. So you've doubled a couple mm-hmm. of them or some yep. of them. Yep. Did you get to choose the locations, and what and what is it like? To, and the, what has the reaction been to seeing your work as part of the Biennial, the Art Biennial that's going on, but just seeing it out in the open so proudly? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, um, you know, fortunately, before being asked to, to you know, be one of the uh, the artists for uh, the biennial, I I travelled to Liverpool quite a few times already, you know, worked on projects as well. Um, so I guess, yeah, I I, I kind of built a, a report with, with, with the city. Yeah. And, um, and so when I was invited to think about, you know, kind of making work for it. For me, almost like straight away, the idea of the flags existing within this city, which of course was a slave port city, um, was just such a big deal to have a conversation around something that I felt perhaps wasn't wasn't being had as much as it perhaps needed to be. Of course, I'm yeah. aware of, you know, the slavery museum that exists there. But again, I think, you know, so many more ways to kind of agitate uh, conversations. So, you know, there... W- Myself and yeah, the curatorial team, we kind of like, we did walks around, you know, like the city center, the kind of like outer points and parts and, and, and talked a little bit about, I guess, the, 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 the histories with regards to, you know, the different streets and things like that and some of the buildings. And, um, and you know, the, the, the choices came down to understanding how perhaps we might be able to um, scatter the symbolism rather than simply just oh yeah we just wanted the biggest kind of building or whatnot but you know place it within a range of uh, you know environments in a way that you know you won't necessarily have to go through the, um, the 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 press pack or whatnot to try and find them you know upon mm-hmm. coming to you know Liverpool Lime Street you, you you'd see a flag and so on so it was this idea of you know creating something that felt like it was you know, naturally part of that environment in the way that, you know, flags are just, you know, flags and less kind of, you know, kind of like obscuring your, your, uh, your, your passage or journey really just, you know, they, they, they are part of a skyline or, you know, a a horizon that, that you look around. So it was great to, I guess, to be talking about also making work and, and, and creating artwork in a way that, didn't sit within a gallery space, which again, like I think gallery spaces, um, you know, are, are oppressive spaces, depending on the kind of person who you are, your background and your, your, your lived experience, you know, 
Um, and class has, of course, a lot to do with that. Race has a lot mm. to do with that gender in certain ways. Whereas, you know, showing something outside, I mean, it's that that's that's one of the ultimate freedoms, I think, you know, to really then, um, you know, exist in a way that something kind of permeates and doesn't just stay confined, you know. Um, yeah. That's not saying I don't like shining galleries. Yeah, I do. But <laughs> no, you but know. you're not. You're not. You're not taking in art in a white cube concept where you're told yeah. it's art. This is something yeah. that is you know, a lot of public art is peripheral and it's there, mm -hmm. and people are going to be witnessing this without realizing they're witnessing something that is kind of coded that has yeah. lots of lots of meaning to it. Do you make these flags yourself? Do you applique these yourself or? I don't. I wish I wish I did. Is um, this another family member that you get involved? No, <laughs> no, 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 there isn't. It's uh, no, it's a, a flag company that, that I work with. Uh, in terms of, uh, I've got to say, in terms of the, uh, the design kind of process, I did, uh, I have worked uh, ongoingly with a, a designer and a good friend of mine, uh, Wumi Elayasabikhan, um, who in fact actually worked on some of the, on the, uh, the animations for my video work Reliquary 2, which I released last year. He's part of your studio, isn't he? You like yeah, you could yeah. say yeah. He's a he's a he's a studio member for, for sure. Um, right. And you know we've really weirdly like we've known each other for like well over ten years. However, we we more or less grew up in in the same area. He grew up in Stepney Green. I grew up in Bethnal Green. Yet we didn't meet each other until we were kind of like brought together on a uh, an art project. And, you know, upon that very first time, we were talking about one of our biggest loves, video games. So, mm. you know, um, working with Wumi has been incredible in that um, I feel like I'm, I'm talking to someone who's just a few years younger than me, which he is. But like, you know, we're kind of going back and forth on, on talking about anything from, I don't know, world issues to hip hop beats and so on. And um, so, you know, that, that kind of process of relaying ideas to him that he would represent and to build into vectors based on my instruction um, has been has been very important as to you know the, how the creation of these flags have, have taken place. If you think about um, the gallery system mm -hmm. and uh, sort of the work that you've made, so the, the films, mm -hmm. I often think it's really hard being a filmmaker because even though, like you said, your MacBook is kind of like everything to you, and you can <laughs> have your blanket. own digital archive and mm. you know. Uh, uh, apps and you know programs that can help you make things yeah. I've always felt like filmmakers get a really hard kind of you know end of the bargain in a way because mm. it's like the gallery system doesn't necessarily support them in a commercial system that yeah. quickly yeah. They're, they're happy to pick it up once it's established you know yeah. once you've been in the Liverpool Biennale or <laughs> Venice Biennale or what have yeah. you but like the system around all of that is so complicated and then mm. even the viewer is sometimes mm. really unfairly kind of um, dismissive yeah. of even watching an art film I mean I've yeah. been guilty of that in the past you know what I mean mm -hmm. there's this tendency to love paintings or whatever yeah. but um, can you talk about the importance of the support of the kind of public realm and the mm. people People like you were nominated for like the Jarman mm -hmm. Award. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you, you've had very significant support over the mm -hmm. years, and yeah. how important that's been to your development. Yeah, no, that's they're really good points, Robert. Really, and um, yeah, I, I I would say in terms of the different mediums that I've worked across, film is ooh, <laughs> it's the most difficult hustle. It really is because you're constantly pitching to people to believe in something that is going to yeah. take a very long time to kind of like gestate and, and to be created in, in the end. Um, you know, getting the funding is, is, is the most difficult thing. You know, I mean, look, don't get me wrong. It's great to have in the past been nominated by Foot for the Other Jarman. But in terms of the films that I made or even some of the stuff I've done collaboratively with David, 
we always did that at, at, at really small budgets of which, you know, if you put them side by side by some of our other filmmaking peers, you probably second guess that, you know what I mean? Because um, I guess we, you know, that the interesting thing in terms of even collaborating with David Blandy um, was in kind of like getting to know somebody who was very, um, I guess, resourceful, similarly in a way that I work. So, you know, in terms of the way that I shoot my films, for example, I don't, I don't rent film cameras, you know, I, I save up to purchase the equipment, you know, so that if I have an idea, I can go out and shoot it, you know, very much in the same way that a painter, you know, if, look, if a painter wants to paint, they're not going to, yeah, the of course. Some, was there. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Of, of course, some, in, in some cases you may apply for, you know, an arts council grant, but you will have some of the basics to kind of allow you to try down your ideas, right? Yeah, and the spontaneity of it all. Exactly. Kind of impulse, the kind of artistic Absolutely. Um, yeah, inspiration. Absolutely. Yeah. So in a way, you could say I've kind of built something of like a kind of like media center really over the years, you know, to in order to uh, express myself as, as, as easily and as quickly as possible. And, you know, again, kind of coming back to, you know, in terms of like support, again, you know, there has been, you know, support along the way, but it's been a freaking hustle and it still is, you know. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm working on a really uh, ambitious but exciting film at the moment, which will uh, form part of my first, uh, I, I can't say any detail, details <laughs> other than the fact that will be my first major solo show in the UK, which will, you know, open next year. Um, but in terms of, you know, funding, like we're literally sitting on, on shoestring as we speak, you know, and, and, you know, my job as, as, as the director is actually keeping everything going, keeping everyone going, trying to, you know, hold those things together, utilizing money that if I've earned from a project or something to kind of put back into the project with the hope that, you know, that money might come back, but it doesn't. It doesn't always come back. So, yeah. you know, um, but again, you know, at, at the same time, having said that, you know, having uh, and building relationships with the likes of Lux Distribution very recently has been amazing yes. because, you know, Lux, you know, that they, they, they kind of output artists' uh, films and so on. Uh, they, they get the, the artists' work into, you know, film festivals. Again, mm. these are the kinds of things that I would spend literally hundreds of pounds, probably going into the thousands, to try and get into film festivals. Right, right, right. Like I said, I'm not from a film school background and so on. So that, you know, I, I, I did things with like the film freeway and whatnot where you throwing that stuff out there. So it's through, I guess, like taking, you know, the risks of, of, of wanting to explore and express myself in the way that I do that, yeah, fortunately, you know, people have kind of responded to that quite positively, the viewers, um, especially students as well, which I give like a massive shout out to. They're the ones who really are doing the work for the institutions who then come across that stuff. That has been a really uh, beautiful relationship of like building over the years of uh, people being inspired by what I do and in turn asking for, for advice as well. So it's, it's you know, it's that is a is a constant hustle, I would say. It's not, it might look like it, you know, everything's all hunky-dory, but, you know, it really is a constant hustle. And, you know, not that I'm kind of complaining about it because I, I, I love to get up in the morning and, like, think, ah, oh, you know what, I'm I'm going to go down Dagenham here or whatever and I'm going to set up my camera. I'm, let's roll. We're going to do something. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So I've always found it so unfair as well for artists because so many of my artist friends 
I've never grown up with the skills of necessarily being able to like fill in forms mm -hmm. or like do all the kind of bureaucratic yeah. stuff because their brains just don't think like that. Yeah. And it's so unfair that they're the ones who then have to apply A for grants and then B for like film festivals. Yeah. And then you have to pay a hundred quid to apply. Yeah. And it's like, who's got the hundred quid? I mean, it just seems like, it seems like everything's against that kind of work. So it's Big interesting time. that I love that you teach as well, because mm -hmm. I guess your experiences, all those practical things often never get mentioned. Mm. It's just the end thing of like, oh, wow, you made an amazing yeah, film. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Like, there's, there's the, you know, even when I talk to, you know, like friends back in the ends or whatnot, like, you know, there's mm. the assumption that, oh, yeah, I, I just sit and make artwork and that's it. Where really it's like, well, I don't know, like 70% of the time or even way more, I'm spending doing a lot of admin, you know, you're going back and forth, um, you know, kind of like debating a rate of something, which, you know, why should I have to even debate a rate of, you yeah. know, how to get paid or whatnot when you lot as the institution you everyone's on the payroll or that this kind of you know it's it's again yeah. it's that constant flux of course i don't i again i'll say you know i don't obviously do this entirely on my own i fortunately have a you know great uh, studio manager in uh, zara trust giles um mm -hmm. who's joined the studio um just over half a year ago and then uh, prior to that uh, nefertiti Oboshi shandolf who is now working at peckham platform you know but again you know we I like to build relationships of of of, of trust and uh, of of siblingship in a way, you know, where we we have each other's backs in a way that, you know, not only are they supporting my work or the studio, but in turn I look at ways in which I can support them and what it is that they're doing. Because if we if we if we do things that way, then we build a a, a stronger kind of culture, which then hopefully mm. you take those ideas you take that on to the next set of people and then hopefully those people take that on as well you know it's, it's, it's small things but it's it's about creating those uh, i guess again reverberations or ripples that will mm. kind of you know spread spread themselves but out. also i think through creating the archive that you've created it then it's like passing on the baton isn't it mm -hmm. because it's like you know i feel like the very core of what you do it's about archiving kind of the humanity the mm -hmm. kind of the the love actually mm. and 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 kind of respect for traditions um and also for future the mm -hmm. way that we'll evolve and change so it's this really precious thing that is going to be like inspiring you know a 20 year old filmmaker mm. now listening to this who knows you know yeah. and I, th I think it's 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 great that idea of passing on you're like, a legend you've come a long way since oh. barking college Appreciate you know it, i went barking college oh, did you You, did went you? Barking yeah oh, i got gosh. i got yeah i got i think i got kicked out probably two years before you started <laughs> i got I, I made a year and then they, they you got didn't kicked out. they didn't That's invite hilarious. me back is uh, the official term but yeah they kicked me off um but so my, my nan lived two doors away, literally mm. by the bus stop. Wow. I used to go and have a roast dinner every lunchtime. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Rest in peace, Sweet. nan. But what, 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 I've, what I've been inspired by, and mm. I want, then I'm going to get onto something that I'm really obsessed with, with yep. your work, is the fact that I've been really excited to see how artists respond to the last year, to the pandemic, mm -hmm. and how, uh, like, on the money that is, really. Mm. And there was a work you made, which is called Relinquery 2, mm -hmm which you, and I mean, it must have been horrific, were separated from your kids mm. during the lockdown for a period of time. And you yeah. made this um, film, mm -hmm. which was a direct response. And it, it, you had your kids singing in it like a listen mm -hmm. and repeat. Mm -hmm. And for me, that felt so brilliant because I'm desperate to see how artists are responding to what we're going through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, Reliquary 2, yeah. Um, that yeah it's 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 that the latest film that i that i made um is one of the hardest uh films to 
create, I guess, at the time, because which, of course, is very you know current to us now with you know the the the, the pandemic and so on. Because um, you know that first lockdown that kicked in, um, I I was separated from from my children. I co-parent with um, Haley Joy Rose, who. Uh, as mother of my children, but also we we collaborate from time to time as well, and uh, I of collaborate course. with everyone. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, you know, my 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 kids for me, like they're 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 kind of like the spark to you know to to the whole system, and they they keep me going. And being in this period of you know, also at the same at that particular point in time, I I'd left Somerset House Studios, so I was migrating all of my my gear and, and and stuff to you know to Essex and you know living in a place which is very quiet um it was really it was very grim in the sense of you know checking out the news seeing the uh, the numbers of you know people catching and then kind of dying from from the disease uh, such a harrowing thing um and you know f long before any of this had happened I'd wanted to <clears throat> I'd wanted to write a letter to my to my kids. I was I'd say I was probably inspired by uh, the likes of Tanahisi Coates and and the uh, the book that he wrote uh, Between the World and Me, which is kind of like a is a long letter to to his son where he's talking mm. about the the generational experience of being a black man and living in the United States um and and seeing some things change but a lot of things not changing. Um I I'd wanted to write a letter to my kids but I was just so too busy um, as, as, as excuses go and then you know coronavirus really just stopped the world from kind of going going at the rate that it was and um, so during this period of, 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 of moving creating a home as well as a studio here I I wrote my heart out to them um, where I tried to also I guess open my fragility towards them um i think a thing that i've learned as as being being a parent which is so incredible is um you'll always make mistakes but you can learn from them and you can build from them but it's important also for for for, for not just your kids or anyone's kids but just just young people in general to see and understand the fact that you know adults make mistakes and i think you know, adults sometimes we're just not as honest about that as we should probably be, you know, um, even about being afraid, you know, and, and, and why we might be afraid of, of some things and how, again, we try to negotiate that. So, um, you know, that, that opportunity for the film came about through uh, John Hansard Gallery, who um, prior to that were uh, showing some of my work in a solo show, but it was abruptly cut for, the, for obvious reasons. Um, and, you know, visually it includes uh, imagery that was shot in uh, Brighton by the, uh, the Burnt Out uh, West Pier. Um, that was shot with uh, Louis Searle, um, who also has worked on, on various films that I've done in the past. Um, and, and that imagery, <clears throat> I'd used a little bit in performances, but I'd never used it in a film work. There was so much that I shot with it, and it, initially it was just actually a test to try to see if I could take my uh, drone right across the uh, the water to the pier. So kind of silly in a way, because if it <laughs> fell in, then that's, <laughs> you know, good grand come down the uh, 
God, I find the those drones so insane. Is away. Yeah. I love the idea you can get those really high shots now uh, that look oh, like you're a kind of Hollywood film right? director. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, the mixture of so that wild. or working, you know, kind of like digitally within video game engines like I've done with David Blandy with you know, Grand Theft Auto and whatnot. These kinds of things have literally cost hundreds of pounds, hundreds of thousands of pounds, right, to, mm. to do in the past. Um, and, and I wanted to kind of capture this, this type of sublime. I just wasn't sure what I wanted to do with it. But of course, you know, this few years later, uh, this opportunity to make the film again, it was on a really kind of, you know, tight, small budget. Um, mm. I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't able to really work with um, you know, many people as I, as I would like to, again, within this kind of constraint of lockdown. But I kind of was stared at myself. I, I stared at myself with the, you know, the writing. And I figured, well, to get somebody else to voice those words to me would kind of be doing a disservice to, to, to this letter kind of existing. Why would I get someone else to say what I want to say to my kids? And also, I guess I, I was I was thinking in really kind of crazy directions. I was like, well, what if I'm actually not here after this? Like, what do they have from me? Do you know what I mean? I was really thinking wow. that kind of like distance. Yeah, yeah. So it was really important that this got done. And, um, you know, yeah, within within my uh, my studio that I'm speaking from now, I I, I recorded the um, letter within, you know, a few takes and uh, the soundtrack came together very easily. Um, I love jamming on my uh, Dave Smith Prophet um, um, mm-hmm. synthesizer awesome. here. It's just, you know, you, you can just dream away with it. It's a beautiful piece of kit, you know. Um, but yeah. It brings back my synth days. I love, I love you, Prophet. Oh, you played with synths as well, nice. Do you know what's really funny? My um, Another talk art guest, Maxwell, mm-hmm. he's a singer in America, obviously mm-hmm. iconic. Um, singer he um, sent me a photo the other day from his studio and the first thing I said was like I love the prophet and he was like I forgot you used to play synth I was like yeah the prophet is like the coolest it is so cool it's just it's limitless like I you know I've I've, I've said to myself lately if I had more time I would just sit there and just groove away and just you know and um yeah this this, again this forced kind of like period of isolation I you know I, I was able to just kind of sit down hit a few notes a few chords and um did you teach yourself to do that yeah. to play that like you've done with the filming and like you've yeah. done this you're you're self-taught yeah. yeah really you went to slade from 2000 i'm not <laughs> taking i'm not slagging off barking college <laughs> love no, i love barking college it's barking and Dugman college now it's amazing yeah, it was an it. amazing year there yeah. but then you went to slade mm-hmm. but uh, it feels like a lot of your work is all from the heart you've kind of really made yourself learn the skills that you wanted mm. to make your artistic output oh for sure for sure you know i mean you know weirdly at, at, at barking and Dagenham college like i painting was the thing you know like it was it was quite traditional in that sense actually and you know our mm. tutor at the time glenn holman shout out to glenn holman um he would just he, he was like an old school sensei in the sense of like he would take no shit from anyone and just like look you know, you've got to do things this way, you get it wrong, that's you. He'd also talk about, you know, the, these institutions are like sort of Slade, Royal College of Art, Goldsmiths. He would talk about these kind of monoliths as like, these are the big places where people go and get crunched or whatever. And, you know, if you want to take this thing far, you need to go to one of those, blah, blah, blah. Not all of you are going to make it. All this, this kind of stuff, you know. Mm. And of course, I get to those spaces and, um, or well, I went to Westminster first, did my BA, but like, even getting there at the time, it was really strange because all those paintings I'd done over the years, like they, they didn't matter at all because it wasn't about, 
you know, making impressionistic style landscapes and stuff. It was all about um, all these different theories that I hadn't, you know, heard of in terms of aesthetics and, you know, semantics and all of that. And, um, but yeah, you know, I agree, you know, in between it all, I was, I was teaching myself to do things um, because, yeah, I get, you know, I grew up in a, in a very resourceful household. We didn't have that much to, in order to, 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 to do some of the things that we wanted. And so sometimes you, you had to be creative with what, with what you were doing. You know, a lot of people that I knew in East London, they, they, they would talk about going to studio, which really just meant they were tinkering around on a really like cheap PC with like a crack copy of, um, I don't know, like FL Studio or Fruity Loops or whatnot, you know, mm-hmm. so, um, so along the way of, you know, being at, whether it was University of Westminster or then later, late, later going on to the, uh, the Slade School of Fine Art, although again, I was quite green at, at those periods. One of the things I, I was sure of was that, you know, unless I kind of struck it lucky and some gallery took me along or whatnot, after those courses, you know, e- economically speaking, I would still be in the same place that I was before. So right. how do I then go about creating things? And, you know, that, that therefore kind of working with things digitally, actually, it became a, um, it was a necessity of, of, of sorts in, in relation to, um, you know, the means that I, that I could really afford or more specifically couldn't afford. I knew when I left the slate that I'd be able to make beats. I'd be able to teach myself to make beats, which I did for three years. I was part of a kind of beat making crew called the Weekly Beat Sessions. Shout out to the Weekly Beat Sessions, not around anymore, but a great bunch of people. You know, I was doing all kinds of things with this, with, with, with these approaches that, yeah, they kind of, they didn't take place within, you know, art schools that I was at. The art school really was more, I guess, kind of like an incubator for me to just kind of test out some of those mm-hmm. ideas or actually quite oppositely not test them out. Because, you know, if, if in, in terms of talking of, you know, decolonial approaches to, to study and to making, I guess by the time I'd got to the slate, I was pretty sure that I wasn't, I, I didn't mind having tutorials per se, but I wasn't interested in doing what the tutor told me to do, you know. Um, and and I and I, I I had a certain feeling around you know being taught to make art. Like I just don't think you can be taught to make art. You can, you can you can be challenged to expand your thought process, but the person mm. who decides to make art makes that decision themselves. You know, it's yeah. something that you realise along the way. It's not something that I think a, a tutor can really give you or a certificate. Do you know what I mean? So. There's a lot of there's a lot of learning and time and process, but of course none of that was entirely instant. I didn't realise at the time and think, oh yeah, you know, like I'm simply just teaching myself. It was just like, no, I don't I don't want a tutor here trying to tell me about certain histories of black music, for example, that I was working with in terms of sampling. Because what do they know? Like, yeah, sure, some people knew a few things, but they didn't know or have the lived experiences that I was personally dealing with. Um, and thus they would probably just, they would destroy things for me or tell me, oh, you're not working with the EQ there, right? You're not doing that right. So I, I, you know, again, through trial and error experimentation, I guess, yeah, I I brought myself to this point of through building on, on, on my own. I think it's such a delicate balance being a teacher to try and like bring out someone's individual self-directed kind of talent mm. and then also creating situations that challenge that person in order to, to bring out more do you know mm. what i mean mm. to help them grow and funnily enough 
uh, matching Russell's um, education mm -hmm. uh, link to mm. you, I studied at Westminster, oh. Northwick Park. Oh, yep. That's uh, on the my BA. I was at too, uh, yeah. That's what I was about to say. We were probably on the same campus wow. at the same time, weirdly. Amazing. Because um, I, yeah, I was at Northwick Park mm -hmm. and I did commercial music. And I remember I went in with the objective of literally getting a record deal and releasing a record. Oh and wasn't really that bothered about the course. So it was completely self-directed. But then actually, the teachers do put you in these situations and those rules and regulations that you aren't really that interested mm. in, I think actually do, that is really important, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And even just the kind of peer group mm. that you can create and that network mm. and that strength you can get from each other. It's the same with Russ and all his actor friends. Yeah. Like you see them all and some of them get popular at other times and you all kind of have your highs and lows it's together. Crew. Mm. Exactly, yeah, yeah. and I think that's a really you important thing like to remember. Yeah, no, the yeah. education isn't just the system, it's actually the people you're Absolutely. with. Absolutely, you're right. I mean, I think, you know, that ability to kind of, uh, you know, debate and, you know, kind of talk uh, in a way that allows you to best represent yourself. Um, you, can't, you can't do that simply on your own, you know, by having groups of other people who are making things or building things or, you know, they may come, they usually will come from different walks of life or they may not even necessarily agree with all the things that you say. That was so important mm. to me. That was, you know, mm. for me, it's part of my own kind of character building and even like self-awareness, you know, is, is really strange kind of this whole thing of being aware of myself much more like uh, in terms of class and then, you know, race and so on um, when when entering these these kinds of environments. But then further to that, learning about, you know, and relearning about, you know, my own heritage and and. and Again, bringing that into a space of of, of conversation, um, and, and that, of course, yeah, it takes time, but it takes people, it takes other people, it takes you know a network of sorts, you know, um, and not necessarily meaning that you know we were all complete pals. Some people I really didn't like, but we kind of we we in a certain kind of positive sense, we used one another to kind of sharpen, you know, our tools, perhaps, if, mm. if, if you if you will. And, you know, that that's helped me to kind of build my my skill and approach to to talking. Critique let alone each teaching. other, don't you? Yeah, it's a critique. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, so before we get on to our final two questions, we ask everyone, I just mm -hmm. wanted to bring something up, which I'm obsessed with. Mm. I, I, I watched an interview of you and you were sat there in a streets of rage hooded sweater and I thought hang on a minute <laughs> hang on a minute what am I seeing here Streets of Rage what that gives me a nostalgic flashback oh, yeah. I remember being 10 <laughs> with my £3 pocket money which changed into 20p's and then just going to the local sweet shop bomb bombs oh, and yeah. just putting the machines in playing Streets of Rage mm -hmm. and getting really worked up yep. and then I went to your website which mm -hmm. everyone should check out which is amazing and You've made video game mixtapes, mm. and it blew my mind because I put number one on, mm -hmm. and the third song down is Golden Age, yeah. and it's the turtle <laughs> section. Yeah. And I literally closed my eyes, and I think I listened to your, that first mixtape for like half an hour, maybe 40 minutes, to the point my boyfriend was like, turn it off, please mm -hmm. turn it off, because he didn't get in it. And I, I yeah. literally was transported. You've made a music, all the music and audio from the gaming, nostalgic mm -hmm. gaming, you've made into mixtapes. Yep. It's blown my mind, Larry. <laughs> it's like, for me, it's, it's the pinnacle of your practice. I think That's it's made genius. My day. To hear that, it's made my day, honestly. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it, you, know, you know, the weird thing with it is like, again, you know, with all of this kind of conversation around, you know, sound and my love of video games and so on, um, it hadn't really occurred to me until, you know, some point last year that I thought like, why, what, why, why haven't I kind of tried to, you know, marry those, those two interests into a project that, 
that essentially people can just access, you know, even if they're, you know, not like yourself or myself, Russell, like really, you know, drenched in, in, in that nostalgia, but like, mm. you know, just the, the magicalness of, of, of video game soundtracks and, and, and the, the iconography that is kind of, you know, carried with that and the quirkiness that comes along as well with, you know, sound, sound effects. Um, I, I also thought a lot about, I guess, the idea of a project that really, really could sit on its own. It just didn't need, it didn't need too much explaining. But if you mm -hmm. wanted to reach into the depths of, you know, the history of gaming, you know, I've, I've got noted down there the, the, the names of the composers, the year that the you have, track yeah. came out, this kind of thing, Very all of thorough. this, you know, reference material, which of course, Very I'm, yeah, I'm also additionally <laughs> yeah. building on that as, as, as we speak. Personally, there are things that are kind of jumping out at me and like, oh, Oh, right, this game which came out at this period of time, which I really wanted to play, but couldn't get to it or couldn't afford it, etc., etc. So it's really for me, it's it's a celebration of of a culture that, in certain respects, I think is often misunderstood. Although the weird thing being, video games is the biggest entertainment kind of, you know, uh, you know, platform in the world. Period, which is kind of yeah. crazy to my mind because when I think about when I was playing as a kid, I remember being told by people, "Oh, you're just going to melt your brain just playing for yeah. hours or whatever." Mm. But um, you know, to be able to celebrate that, but then also to share that in a sense that people can they can just listen wherever they want. You just need the yeah. link, and that's all it is, and then you can it's take amazing. that where you want to. Um, it's yeah, amazing. I I oh. cannot tell the listeners enough. <laughs> If they're our generation, especially to go back to get these mixtapes, because it will, it, and if you was like a gamer kid, it will send you all the way back there beautifully. It's amazing. It's bringing out your inner kind of art geek, Russ. It's like <laughs> it's like a combination of of all your. Oh, it's, it's kind making of video games fine art. Wow. You're a genius. <laughs> genius. You're an absolute genius. No so we need to get onto our final it. questions, yeah. Rob. What's the first question? Well, the first question, Larry, mm -hmm. is if you could do an art heist and you could do it anywhere and it could be kind of tiny or giant and we will bring uh, helicopters or anything cinematic, Drones. we could bring mm -hmm. the Ghostbusters, anyone you want, um, to help, what would you take home? Oh, wow. What would I take home? Is it an artwork or like... Just yeah. yeah, an artwork, yeah. Or actually, it could be anything. It could be a, a building. building or it could be a kind of whatever you want. Oh, wow. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> you know what i would this is just gonna be really like cheesy i i'd, I'd steal something from the, the the national gallery you know like proper really? yeah 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 just like proper um mission impossible style you know with all the like <sighs> spray on the you know the beams and that i'd have like a really small kind of like close-knit team i'd take one of one of like the uh, the old school paintings probably like a tishane or something rembrandt wow yeah 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 i'd do that and then i'd i'd probably you know, I guess like like um, like uh, the character uh, Lupin. You know, I would kind of I would reminisce about these things and like create characters out of these uh, these these experiences of having done that. So, you know, kind of stealing the thing wouldn't be enough. It would, you know, I'd create and try and build a um, a performance. Guess, yeah, a performance in mythology. Yeah. Who who is who is Lupin? Who, Lupin. Tell us about a him. mythology. Yeah, I like so. Lupin uh, is, um, is is a character um, from a, an, I guess originally a, a an anime kind of comic, which um, was uh, created into a film, I believe, by members of Studio Ghibli. But then, very recently, I think just almost a year ago, uh, became a uh, was a is a 
Netflix production, really. So it's a series based on mm -hmm. this 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 character Lupin, who um, who basically plans and and imagines these these heists. I won't try and you know spoil anything else right, there. Right, but right. Like a Thomas Crown affair sort of character, like. Okay. I think Studio Ghibli have a really hit podcast as well. We were going to collaborate at some Ooh, point with please them. Please do. Like really early on. Yeah, and they, they're extraordinary, yeah, aren't they? They're amazing. I've got the yeah. whole, yeah. Well, the other question we ask, platform. Larry, everyone, is what is your favourite colour and why? Oh. <laughs> um, I, I, I talked to my daughter about this loads, actually, and her colours, they kind of change a lot. Um, I've got two. Sorry, I had, it's two. That's fine. So um, the first is red. I kind of got that from my mum because that's her favourite colour. But and I wear red quite a lot. But I just the the the, the starkness of it, the warmth that you know, the boldness of it. I think is is really you know quite an incredible and also beautiful thing. Um, I love black as well because I just think it goes with everything. But not in a way of like, oh yeah, I just wear black stuff on its own like I'm kind mm. of like emo and out but like you know like a uniform. well just <laughs> hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Um, you know like to kind of complement things to just like add a little yeah. bit of something to you know what what's there an accent color an accent color there we go which essentially is your headphones right now because yeah. you have red headphones indeed with the black accent on but also a tiny bit of orange and actually your film that I, I mentioned earlier with your mum um, she's wearing orange yes. in that, and then there's the red within it. Exactly. I was going to ask you about that, sort mm. of whether that was conscious sort of decision to have her dressed you know, in orange, because orange is my favourite <sighs> colour. You know, I wonder if that's partly why I love I, the film. I'd love so much, to say, I'd love, I'd love to say that the second time round going to film, I was like, Mum, you got to wear orange. But interestingly, the very first time that we went to film, my mum was dressed entirely differently, actually. So very, yeah, really? very Western, like you know, pair of jeans and like a checkered shirt. And that was it. She didn't, she didn't have her head wrap. She had her hair out. And then the second mm -hmm. time round, like, where I was like, Mum, like, we need to do this again. Please, do you mind? And she was like, no, no problem at all. And um, she, she dressed up like she was going for, to church. She, and, and she really did. She went to pray. She went to evangelise. I went to make a film and she went to evangelise. But no, she decided on, on what she was going to wear. You know, she even, she even sprayed herself with, you know, um, the perfume and stuff. And I was just like, wow. but you're not even going to smell it. Like, so I'm going. Like, mom's like, yeah, yeah, you don't, yeah. You don't, it is an amazing kind of portrait document of her as mm -hmm. well. You know, outside of even your kind of concept around it. It's mm -hmm. like a, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. If you can see it, people... Do yeah. your best to see it. Well, this has been amazing. I just want to ask, mm -hmm. Achimpong, that's a Ghanaian name. Yes. And is that a regular Ghanaian name or is that pretty special? Uh, like, is it Smith? Yeah, it is very much like Smith. Is it? <laughs> In a way, yeah, yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, there, there are loads of Achimpongs, yeah, absolutely. There's a, there's a place in, in, in Jamaica named uh, Achimpong as well, which, of course, you think about the other relationship between, uh, in terms of the transatlantic slave trade and Ghanaian um, oh. people being shipped over there. Um, yeah, so it's a yeah, it's a it's a well-known name within uh, Ghana and throughout, you know, across the planet. Obviously, depending on culturally how you're connected. I love it. Well, well thank you so you're much. Oh, so, for you. everyone listening, you can learn more about Larry's work by going to the Liverpool Biennale, and it's on until the 20th of June this year. It did start in March, um, but I, w I hope it will sort of get extended, maybe a tiny bit, because. You know, a lot of the works are 
around the city. Mm-hmm. And it would be so cool if it did get extended. But if not, get there before the 20th of but June. But also, if you go to the line uh, in the Greenwich Peninsula around the Royal Docks, there is a cable car that uh, takes 10 minutes one way, 10 minutes the other way. And Larry has a 20-minute round-trip um, sound piece that takes you, transports you in the cable car to the Royal Docks and back, which is, we didn't really talk about that much, but it's incredible. And uh, that's uh, a work you can see there because that's, that's um, going to be there forever, right? Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's online and yeah, you can, you can <laughs> no, listen yeah, to Yeah, it you can hear online. Much. You haven't actually got to go in the cable car. Yeah. You can actually listen to it online. But I think and the also experience your, in the cable car true. is... Your website in itself is an amazing yeah, archive. Right, so all your films if you'd like there. to see all the many different projects and even if it's just like photo documentation of the films, you can get a kind of sense of what the work is. So you can go to um, larryhachiampong.co.uk. Yeah. Amazing. And then also your name, just at Instagram as well, you're there. Yes. And we will link to you on Instagram. Last one. So there Amazing. we go. Well, thank you so much for your oh, time. Thank you. It's been it such so a wonderful, talking to you both. wonderful hour. I've yeah. loved it. I actually feel like we could do this like a whole series, say, just like yeah. us talking about things. Brilliant. Awesome. I just want to go oh. gaming with you now. Go computer right. games. Well, thanks, everyone. We'll see you soon. Thank Stick you. around, Larry. Cheers. and we'll be uh, back very soon. Bye, everyone. Bye, Larry. Thanks for listening. Bye. You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Tovey. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode, with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.